0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a 34-year police veteran of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the founder of the organization The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers, the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. This show is dedicated to the physical, emotional, and uh, spiritual health. Of America's law enforcement community and uh, as always everything on this show um, is a uh, is an effort to improve the lives of our law enforcement uh, officers you know before we get started with uh, my incredible guest uh, I do what is called our reality check where we honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in the line of duty and unfortunately this week i have two names to read the first is sergeant john arden jensen of the fort worth police department in texas and uh uh sergeant john jensen uh, died as a result of contracting covid 19 in the line of duty sergeant johnson Jensen, excuse me, was a United States Army veteran, served with the Fort Worth Police Department for 26 years. He is survived by his wife, daughter, son, and sister. Sergeant John Arden Jensen, Fort Worth Police Department, Texas. End of watch Saturday, October 28, 2023. And the next is Senior Police Officer Jorge Pastore of the Austin Police Department in Texas. Senior Police Officer Jorge Pastore was shot and killed during a hostage barricade at uh, 9308 bernoulli drive at approximately 4:10 a.m uh, patrol officers had initially responded to the residents for a domestic violence call involving a stabbing shortly before 3 a.m arriving officers located an injured victim outside of the home and learned there were two more injured victims inside As the officers attempted to enter the home to rescue the victims, the subject inside opened fire, causing the officers to retreat. The agency's SWAT team arrived at the scene and attempted a hostage rescue at about 4.30 a.m. The subject opened fire on the SWAT team, fatally wounding Officer Pastori and wounding a second officer. The officers returned fire, killing him. The other two victims were also found deceased inside the home. Officer Pastore has served the Austin police for four years. He is survived by his wife, two stepsons and their and his parents. Senior Police Officer Jorge Pastore, Austin Police Department, Texas. End of watch Saturday, November 11th, 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, protecting their community. Now, besides these officers who who made the ultimate sacrifice, uh, in addition to that, um, there were, uh, as of for the first of this month, 1st of November, 325 police officers shot in the line of duty. 325, an astounding number. That's um, up 22% since 2020. And it shows you that the job of a police officer is increasingly dangerous. And unfortunately, we are seeing more and more assaults on law enforcement. And that's why this show is so important, because it um, it addresses the needs and the uh, challenges of America's law enforcement community. I want to bring in my guest. He is the same guest I had on last week, uh, Matt Hunter. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me again. All right. Now, for those of you who were not tuned in last week, I'm going to give you a little summary. Um, Matt was a Des Moines. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa police officer uh, for um, 21 years, if I, if I have that number correct, right, Matt? That is correct, yes. And um, Matt's close, close friend and partner, um, Joe Morgan, was unfortunately the victim of a suicide, took his own life after um, after many, many years serving as a cop, and it sent it sent Matt into a spiral and that spiral caused an issue that we're going to talk about here shortly. Um, and the, the chief and the administration of the police agency, instead of after, uh, after Matt was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, instead of coming to his aid and giving him the help that he needed, they fired him. Well, Matt is a fighter and Matt fought the system. Sued the agency and uh, recently was awarded uh, 2.6 million dollars from a jury, and that's in a, that's that's a, a tr- something that has rarely happened uh, con- with with post-traumatic stress issues in the law enforcement community. So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining me again here on the Wounded Blue Hour.
1: I truly appreciate you having me and spreading this uh, word to get that out there to everybody who may be going through the same thing or something similar. We can't uh,
0: talk about this enough. You're absolutely right. And I have a, a special guest after we're going to do about uh, about a half hour with Matt. And then Jen Morgan, um, Joe Morgan's wife, is going to come on as well because her story is vitally important as well. Matt, um, at the at the conclusion of our last show, um, you had gone to the uh, to joe's home where you surveyed the scene provide whatever support you could to the family and then you were you were rather shocked at the um at the attitude of the chief and the administration of the department in relate relating to um to the suicide of a man who had served faithfully and honorably for many, many years. Let's go into that.
1: Um, Correct, he had uh, been a sergeant on the police department for quite some time. Um, He was on 23 years with the city of Des Moines and he had had other prior law enforcement agencies prior to that that he served for. Um, The day after uh, Joe died by suicide, I was at roll call at 6 a.m. in the morning and the chief came in and stated that um, we're never going to figure out why, or we're never going to know why, and we're not going to waste time trying to figure it out. Um, that kind of set the tone um, about how the administration felt about mental health. At that time, I was utterly shocked at the statement that was made because I think we have an obligation to figure, figure out why, or at least try to figure out why, to prevent these things from happening again.
0: I, you know, last week he told me this, and I was ju- I was just as shocked. As I'm just as shocked now as I'm hearing it again. Um, it wasn't. It just wasn't even on his radar that this was an important issue to to look into. Correct. Um, it, it definitely wasn't. There was no
1: talk with the family. There was no talk about um, if there was anything going on outside of work, which there was not. Um, you know, that dialogue never happened to try to figure out why somebody who has never exhibited any of these behaviors, someone you wouldn't even mark down in that column of a possibility, someone with a great home life, family life, great support system. And so, you know, that became disturbing that we weren't going to visit that and try to figure that out.
0: What was What was the reaction of other members of the police agency to to that type of attitude?
1: I think there was a lot of surprise. Um, You know, they sent out an email reference uh, different things that the department provides to help officers. Um, But in that email, they also went on to say that if only Joe had reached out for help, um, then we wouldn't be here today. So in essence, they're blaming Joe without even knowing if he reached out for help. Um, I don't know how they would have known if he did reach out for help or if he didn't, but the long and the short of it is there was still that self-blame, the putting on the officer and then just trying to move on from it as quick as we possibly could. Um, That was the administration's goal, I believe.
0: Now, when when it came down to the funeral, you know, police funerals, for active duty people, not necessarily, not necessarily line of duty death. um, But, you know, they're symbols of honor and respect. What happened at the funeral?
1: Um, At the funeral, uh, no dress uniforms were worn by lieutenants and above up to the chief. Usually during any type of parade service or any type of funeral, you would have dress uniforms worn, um, whether that's in the line of duty or not. Um, Those that respect wasn't given to Joe or his family. And then they also did not do the end of watch call or 1042 um, where they call his name and his item number out over the radio, over dispatch and uh, give his final call. Um, I inquired about that. Um, i never got an answer about the dress uniforms. And then I was just told that the end of watch did not happen and was not going to happen. Um, and I believe that they were chalking that up to, it wasn't in the line of duty. However, shortly thereafter, there was unfortunately a death for an active officer who died of cancer and that officer was given those two and, and every other honor that obviously funerals provide for those officers. Um, so now you can't say that this is just line of duty and that's why we didn't give Sergeant Morgan his his honors. Now you have an active member, just like Joe, who died of cancer, not in the line of duty. And we gave him the honor. So the owner honor, the only honors, excuse me, that were withheld were
0: from Joe's funeral that I have attended. Right. Wait, which now let, let me ask you, that. how did that affect you and the other officers? It was, was it? it was very noticeable, was it not? It was noticeable. In fact, some of the command staff came in
1: with their dress uniforms, and they were told, "If you're going to attend the funeral, you needed to go home and change because they were not going to wear the dress uniform at Joe's funeral." So uh, morale takes a hit. You know, you're celebrating the officer's life. You're not celebrating how that officer passed. Right. Um, you know, it's it's about the service that they provided. And, and Joe had an impeccable record and was well liked on the department. So there wasn't anything that they could fall back on to say, this is why we didn't do it.
0: Right. So let's talk about your journey. Um, you served with uh, with the department for 21 years. And then how did uh, Joe's death affect you? I know that, that uh, you began uh, evidencing symptoms yourself of post-traumatic stress. Talk about that.
1: Well... You know, I was in shock, obviously, for I don't know how long, but you know, it's just a surreal incident that you you just can't wrap your head around. Um, After 21 years in law enforcement, um, you know, compartmentalizing all those feelings, all those things that you see on these calls, um, there wasn't a lot of emotion there prior to uh, Sergeant Morgan's death. And then after um, I was I happened to go into the funeral home the day that they brought him and I went in there after everybody had left um, and had my own time with him there. And the emotion that outpoured for me was actually pretty scary because I went from not having anything to you know wondering what was wrong that I had, no emotion. Not that I didn't have any, but after all those years, you kind of become hardened. And so then to have this outpouring of grief, was actually somewhat surprising and overwhelming. Um, So that became kind of a roller coaster for me. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I did have a lot of people telling me that I probably need to go get help. Um, The department sent me for a mandatory uh, counseling appointment with the city doctor or city psychologist. Under that mandatory guideline, uh, per the SOP, uh, and the rules and regs, you have to attend two times, one time within seven days of the accident, and then the second time no later or no earlier than 30 days. Um, that second appointment wasn't offered to me. When I met with the psychologist, he said that I seemed to be processing everything correctly. Um, we didn't really have a lot of questions back and forth. It was more or less just talking about suicide in general. And then as I had prompted with, uh, the assistant chief and the chief, I had talked about mandatory counseling for all of our officers, and of course, he was very interested in helping start that and facilitating
0: that through his uh, business. Did you think that there was a genuine, that it was genuinely caring on the tie on the on the um, by the agency by the administration in sending you, or was this a check the box kind of thing?
1: I think they did it to check the box. I think they have that policy, and that policy has been debated um, for two years, whether it was mandatory to send me or not. And what they're falling back on is the way it reads, it states something to the effect of, if you were involved in um, or witnessed uh, a traumatic incident that that results in death. So what they were trying to say is, I would have had to have been there when uh, my partner shot himself to actually have required those two meetings, which I, it's not how it reads. I mean, it's very, you know, they're just falling back on that as, as the department got sued. So Did it,
0: did it do no, any good? I, did the visit with that doctor do any good?
1: You know, that first visit, all that is is a little back and forth about the incident. Um, he talked a little bit about suicide and where he believes people's mindsets are during that time. But he didn't ask me any questions. He didn't ask me um, what I was experiencing. And, you know, further down the road, six months later, um, during depositions, he states that he doesn't ask officers how they're feeling, he doesn't ask officers about symptomology due to the fact that he believes that an officer will take that and use that and try to elicit some type of getting off of work, uh, put put on light duty. So, (laughs) which boggles my mind, because how am I supposed to know what to look for? You know, I'm not the psychologist. I'm somebody who's going through grief. I'm dealing with some symptoms, but I don't know what symptoms are right or wrong. So to tell me in that session that you're okay, I banked on that. You know, I figured that everything that I was experiencing was okay.
0: Did, now, there came to be a time where you started showing some some adverse, really adverse symptoms that led to um, an, an encounter with law enforcement. Can you explain how that happened?
1: Well, prior to that, um, uh, my wife at the time and I were at a friend's house. And um, I don't know if I mentioned that on the last one. Um, but we were at a friend's house, had dinner, had drinks, and uh, I became inconsolable. This was a couple months after the incident. Um, the person who came out, they eventually, I talked to Jen Morgan on the phone, Joe's wife, um, and then I, uh, they requested that a friend of mine, Officer Ballantini, who was a sergeant at the time, um, they, they requested him to come out to the, the residence. So this was early in the morning, Um, during that time I was in the promotional process for Sergeant and I had, I was in the application process, interviews, testing. Um, and so he came out and spent a couple hours with me and, um, which was, which was great. I mean, he also stated that, you know, maybe we should both go to counseling, um, And then after that, uh, come to find out that even to my chagrin, because I did not really want him reporting that upward, um, anybody in law enforcement understands, or first responders for that matter, military, firefighters, when you're suffering or when you're having mental health issues, you really don't want that to get out um, for fear of what the department's going to treat you like and or you don't want to be perceived as weak that you can't do the job. Um, So I'd asked him not to say anything. But he did. He he did go on to report this to his captain and up to the assistant chief and the chief was aware about it. And their idea was to keep an eye on me. Um, and, and that's where that went. There, it went no further. Um, so there was a spotlight on me at that point to where they could have maybe forced me into counseling, um, maybe assigned me somewhere else within the department until I got things under control. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but. To answer your first question there, um, I was at my brother-in-law's house at the time in a different jurisdiction. They were celebrating their wedding they had eloped. Um, and they were down at their residence having a, a party. And so we attended that party. Um, you know, like normal, I, 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 for lack of a better term, I'm in my feelings about what had happened and drinking heavily. Um,
0: did you, be, did you start drinking heavily after, after the incident? Is that when you yeah, began drinking it,
1: heavily? Yeah, exactly. It, it, that was my coping mechanism. You know, I wasn't sleeping, I was having nightmares, that type of thing. Um, and so for me, that was my outlet, my way of coping. Obviously not an intelligent way to cope, um, but that's what I reached for. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, that's what a lot of first responders do. Um, they try to numb that pain uh, to get things out of their head whether that situation was like mine or, or something that happened in the line of duty those those unfortunate coping mechanisms come out
0: okay so you're you're at your at your uh, at the house you're having the party you're drinking heavily and what happened um, during that time um,
1: yeah, I at that point I had just gotten promoted to sergeant so I was a new sergeant um, we're in a smaller town where um, I'm not familiar with it. Um, I haven't been down there very often. And this party was happening in the backyard. There was banquet tables and all that stuff. And so in Iowa, uh, marijuana isn't legal. However, everybody at the party or quite a few people at the party started um, smoking marijuana outside in the backyard. Therefore, I decided it was time to leave. I just got promoted to sergeant. whatever anybody's feelings on it are. In the state of Iowa, it's not legal. So I didn't want to be around that sure. for fear of what could happen to my career. Um, so I had told my, my wife that we needed to leave. Um, it's funny because now, uh, you know, I'm going through a divorce, but um, now it's just really important that your spouse or your significant other, you got to have some type of words or something that you both know. When this is said, you've got to go. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I was starting to get antsy. So I decided to take my keys and go out to the truck that was parked out on the street. When I was out there, she came out. I had gotten in the the truck. Um, She came out smacked on the back of the tailgate. There happened to be a police officer driving by that intersection, saw her smacking the tailgate as she was trying to You know, she thought I was leaving, so she was trying to get my keys, Um, and that started that dynamic
0: between uh, that police department and myself. Did you wind up getting arrested?
1: I did. Um, Unfortunately, the behavior that I elicited that night was extremely uncharacteristic. Um, In fact, on the audio of the body cams, you can hear my wife stating that this is not her husband, she doesn't know who this is, that I've been suffering um, for a long time um, due to the fact of my partner's death. Um, My behavior uh, wasn't good, you know, it was unprofessional. Um, I never got into physical education with anybody. It was just my mouth, so to speak. Um, So they they arrested me for public intox at that time.
0: All right, now public intox is a misdemeanor crime. Simple misdemeanor, correct. Right. Okay. So what was the reaction of your agency?
1: Well, and and I need to back up right before that incident, five days prior to that incident, there was, and I was the Sergeant at the time, and we got called to a shooting investigation. Um, Long story short, it was a war veteran who had died by suicide. Um, He had shot himself in the chest and Uh, as a sergeant i got called out to the scene they couldn't find the gun to begin with because it was underneath him and so when i got there and walked in business as usual until i rounded the corner and and there he was and it was just like my partner's oh man yeah Um, and so in in the 21 years i've been on i've seen countless suicides but the only two gunshot wounds to the chest by men were this gentleman uh, the war veteran and my partner it's just not typical for a male to shoot themselves in the chest Um, so five days later is when the incident happened in 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 the smaller town uh, suburb of des moines and during that stint in that house on that second incident there was a, a patrol officer who noticed my behavior and on camera asked me if I was okay? Separated me out, um, but here I am. I'm on camera. I'm on video. I'm the sergeant. I have new recruits out there, and so, of course, I said, "Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great." And and he noticed that that wasn't the case. Um, so, I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's a uh, a triggering factor that then five days later, you know, I'm kind of in that full PTSD episode in that smaller suburb.
0: All right. So there's a lot to unpack here and um, we've got to take a quick break and, and we're going to continue. Um, I'm going to see if, um, if we can postpone Jen until next week, because we're really getting into the heart of what's truly, truly important in this, uh, in this interview. So let's take a quick break and you stay with me. All right. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
1: AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of
0: our time. America Out Loud
1: Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. One
0: Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew. And they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online; they bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee. You can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your kerrig or whatever that thing is called so um one nation coffee go to onenationcoffee.com order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh go to onenationcoffee.com So i want to tell you about officerprivacy.com it's it's an amazing company law enforcement owned and operated um and what do they do they do some amazing stuff we're all concerned about officer safety whether that officer safety is on duty off duty regarding your family right and there is an unbelievable amount of information on the internet about you and that's personal information where you live cars you drive stuff that you don't want uh, somebody from Antifa or other organizations, or people who have, might bear a grudge against you—you you don't want them getting that information. And that's why Officer Privacy is such uh, a, a, an important company and a resource for you. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com. See who they are. See what they do. Um, everybody in that in that company is law enforcement or former law enforcement, and uh, and and it's amazing the stuff that they can erase off the internet and they do it constantly right so they update it all the time so go to officerprivacy.com you owe it to yourself you owe it to your family and uh, you'll get some pretty good peace of mind from it go to officerprivacy.com all right let's continue i want to uh i want to bring back um my guest and okay so i mean you get you get in trouble. You get you get you you catch a, a public intox. Uh, like we said, this is a misdemeanor crime. Um, tell us what the reaction of the department was. Was this a custodial arrest, by the way, or was this a ticket? No, it
1: was a custodial arrest. They have policies in that jurisdiction um, that they can't release you on citation if you're under the influence.
0: Okay, so you you spend a night in jail. Um, what, was, what was going through your brain as you sobered up from that, from that mess?
1: Um, well, obviously, I was very shocked at, at what had transpired. I wasn't aware of my behavior yet or my words. Um, I just knew what had happened, that I was arrested. Um, I, but at, the, at that same time, I realized there's something completely wrong. Um, this isn't me. This isn't my behavior. It's very uncharacteristic. Um, so I took it head on. Um, I immediately called uh, the chief, the assistant chief, the chief of the jurisdiction that I was in. Um, I, I didn't get any callbacks. So then I sent an email out um, outlining what had happened and and the fact that I was apologizing, owning owning the behavior, and that I you know that I was very sorry and sincere about my. Uh, my apology that I put their officers in that predicament where they had to deal with me that night. But at the same time, looking back on it, it's probably a blessing um, that that actually happened because I was in a downward spiral and, and I needed to get help. And unfortunately, it took that, um, that act to get me to the point where I was like, hey, okay, I've got this stuff going on. I need to go and talk to somebody and unpack it.
0: Critical, critical, critical. Um, so tell me, what what did you do, and and did you get any support from the from the police department? No, um, it was
1: basically hands off at that point. I was put on administrative leave um, the following morning, and at that time, then the only people I dealt with within the department were the, for lack of a better term, internal affairs, officer of professional standards. Um, but my emails and, and that went ignored by the chief and the assistant chief who later stated that it was due to the fact that I was under investigation, um, which is unfortunate because, you know, there's a lot of back and forth there that could have happened in that time to discuss the realities of what was going on with one of their officers. Um, it's kind of like having cancer, you know, until you're diagnosed with something, how do you know you actually have that? Um, so same with PTSD, or any type of mental health issue. I, I knew that I had some symptoms of something that was going on. I thought that I was going through grief. I was told that it was normal. Um, so I, I continued, but that escalated and, and created a problem in, in all aspects of life. And so until I was diagnosed with PTSD, I didn't have a handle on what was going on with me. Um, but once I did know, then I immediately, after that incident, um, set up counseling appointments with the Employee Assistance Program, went out and found my own personal counselor and um, and tried down that road to learn as much as I could about PTSD as fast as I could.
0: Did, now, let me ask you something. This is this is something really important. At any time during your career, had you ever been given any information on post-traumatic stress? Had you had any training on it? Had your Had your agency ever even addressed what post-traumatic stress is and and how to deal with
1: it? No, not in depth by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they have apps out there um, within the department for officers who can reach out if they're having issues. Um, it's a phone app. Um, they they talk about mental health awareness, but they it's really not in line with other officers. It's always more the public and, and how we should deal with those things. Um, so if it has been covered, it's not to the extent that it should be covered. Again, I think it's just checking the box. Hey, we have these things in place, but do we really follow them? Do we really look into them in depth?
0: So you're, a, you're an experienced cop. You'd never been, you, you really had no idea what to expect when it came down to experiencing the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. This completely took you by surprise. And then, when when you did uh, realize that you had that you had serious issues because of your own self-destructive behavior on that particular night, then the door opened for you, and you began to really, really concentrate on what post-traumatic stress is, and you went to seek counseling. So, while you're doing this, what's going on internally within the agency? Um. They brought me in for an interview. They
1: played some of the audio and video that they had. Um, they asked me if I remembered pieces of it or, or any of it. And, and the truth of the matter is, I really didn't. Um, when I heard the things I said, I was shocked um, watching that person. Um, that wasn't who I am. So seeing that again was very sobering and, and really made me realize again, hey, you you really need to get this under control. Um, but at that point, I still had hope. I mean, we talk about family as a department, it's a simple misdemeanor. There's other people on the department who have been arrested for more serious events, like OWI, that type of thing, that still have employment within, within the department. Um, so my hope was that, you know, I never expected not to be punished. You know, I, I, I put myself in that position. Um, there's some, you know, There's going to be some repercussions for the behavior, but I never
0: thought that it would be termination. All right. You you touched on something very important, and that is the the department's treatment of other people who have faced arrests, misdemeanor arrests. Um, You had knowledge because you've been there for so long of other officers who have experienced. uh, uh, legal issues and they didn't fire them, right? That is correct,
1: yes, and excessive force issues where there's been big law uh, lawsuits and settlements and those officers have gone on and gotten promoted afterward. So there's, there's a lot of issues and, and the comparators, there are a few comparators that are very similar to mine where those officers still are employed.
0: Okay, so how long from the time of your arrest to the time of your termination how much time took place 25 days um, 25 was, days
1: yeah if yeah i was arrested um, june 5th into the 6th and i was fired a day before my birthday on june 29th
0: that's a that is exceedingly fast did you For have an internal investigation that's a, a very quick investigation Wow did did you um, did you have a, a representative?
1: I did. I had my union representative that attended. Um, you know my interviews. Um, the, the process through obviously isn't just me going in for an interview. There's a pre disciplinary hearing. There's there's uh, uh, you know another group that meets with you and they decide, but they're appointed by the chief. It's supposed to be done by secret ballot. What they think the the punishment should be, but it's unfortunately never been followed according to this chief. Um, so therefore he appoints two people, I appoint one, which is my union representative. Um, they meet, they review, they pass on what their findings are. And, and all three of them stated PTSD uh, along with some drinking issues because of Joe's death and, and this possible second incident. Um, in fact, that officer um, who saw me on that second incident went in and actually talked about what he saw. Um, none of that was included into the summary that went to the chief. Um, but the chief also stated that it didn't matter. He already had his main mind, uh, mind made up.
0: That came out later on? Correct.
1: All right. Correct.
0: Okay. S- Go ahead. So 25 days takes place. I mean, that's extraordinarily quick in any disciplinary hearing. So they 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 fire you, they terminate you after all this. And how did how did that affect your emotional well-being? I didn't think
1: after um losing my partner and uh the person I grew up with in the department, um I didn't think I could get much lower, but I was unfortunately surprised into the fact that it could get lower Um, once you strip that uniform from somebody and that's their identity. And it's funny because a lot of people within the administration say, oh, nobody gets that wrapped up in this job. Well, that's it truly becomes who you are, Um, whether you're working or not. You're that police officer. Everybody knows you as that police officer. That's how you know yourself you conduct yourself differently because of the job you have. And so losing all that, um, I hit rock bottom.
0: All right. When you, okay. I want to talk about that. So you hit rock bottom. Now, how did this affect your relationship with your wife? Um, well, it's no surprise,
1: I guess that, you know, I mentioned divorce, um, this happened in June that next March she filed for divorce. So it it obviously impacted everything It impacted my my family life with my children, with my wife, um, how I felt about myself, you know, um, you know, that shame and, and just that self-blame and, and just becoming really low to the fact of who am I now, what am I going to do? Where do I go from here? Um, And in that time i was still trying to fight to get my job back through the civil service and and that uh, arena um and then once that took place and was done then that's when the lawsuit began
0: all right so are you going you're you're still being at at this point you're undergoing treatment for post-traumatic stress absolutely so um in
1: fact i still go once a week so um there's there's no shame in reaching out for help Um, I learned that a very hard way and a a life-changing lesson. But, um, you know, I I still receive treatment. I still go and talk about this all the way through. I needed that support through, after losing my job, especially, um, and through the trial. And I will continue to do so, um, just to make sure I'm where I'm supposed to be.
0: Was there a a breakthrough moment with your treatment that you, um, I mean, was this is all talk therapy. Was there anything else involved?
1: Correct. No, it, it's all talk therapy.
0: Were you offered any other alternatives such as EMDR or anything else? Let me go back. I did
1: see somebody for that, and, and that actually did actually really help. We were able to walk through a couple of the incidents and, and process those incidents, and afterward, shockingly it it really does make a difference so i i was going to see somebody for that in lieu of so i was having two appointments a week one for that
0: and then one uh, with my primary counselor okay excellent um so for for those in this audience that have never uh been exposed to emdr emdr is is uh, a treatment that is utilized for post-traumatic stress it's an eye movement desensitization um, and reorganization. And it is, it is highly useful for, uh, for people experiencing post traumatic stress. And, uh, so I want to bring that to your, um, you know, to your awareness. And it's very, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you were offered that now. How did, how did someone approach that with you? Hey, you know, was it your psychologist who said maybe you should try this? Yes. So um, he he did not
1: offer that. He wasn't trained in that. Um, so he knew the benefits of it. And so then I sought that out and found somebody and um, we had a great working relationship. And um, I dove straight into it. You know, like I said, at first, I, it's you, you think, hey, is this really truly going to work? But if, if you're open minded and you work through it, you actually get a lot of relief out of it.
0: And um, and it also makes you a little more susceptible to the uh, to the talk therapy as well. Absolutely correct. Okay, correct. so you so you are still going to treatment. You're doing everything right. You're getting your life together, uh, even though there's issues at home, and of course you're going through a divorce, which is a, another huge stressor. Um, and so after you um, after you're you're terminated. You, your appeal fails then you made a decision to file suit tell me about that tell me about what what went into that decision that's a big deal well it doesn't happen a lot
1: um with different people um, unfortunately the department has a way um of getting rid of people um they they talk about public embarrassment about the issue becoming newsworthy um, they talk about, if anybody saw the video of you, oh, how embarrassed you would be, you just need to let this go um, and move on. Um, that's not who I am. If if I believe in what's right and if I believe that that somebody's been wrong, then I'm going to fight for what's right. And so my hope was if I file this lawsuit, I can prevent the department doing the same thing um to the next officer who goes through something similar or has the same issues um during this trial process there's been so much uncovered and so many officers who've reached out to me and stated this is what happened with me this is how the department treated me and it definitely makes me believe that there is um, with mental health there's a definite um disregard for anybody who has a mental health issue. So uh, it's next one of I'm broken, or they're broken, Um, you move the the cogs, and and you have a new one, and you push and play, and and they discard that person. Um, You know, being that I bought into this family thing, you'd have thought that there would have been some type of reaching out after the incident. But there wasn't. I mean, there was there was another there was no phone call from the chief after that he wasn't even the one that delivered the news to me that i had been terminated.
0: Now, there was there were some comments that were attributed 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 to the chief regarding this um, that got back to you can you tell me some of those um, like positive in, in the support of me or no or... no 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 the, the were, were there not uh, um, comments made by the chief concerning you that were demeaning um you
1: know, the chief has supposedly said a lot of different things. Um, so I, I take that somewhat worth a grain of salt, just because if, if that was said, then, um, you know, egg on his face. It, it's unfortunate. Um, he demeaned more Joe's family and, and disregarded them afterward, after Joe's death. and And so... If anything, I think he uh, he treated them even worse than he treated me, and that was pretty
0: bad. Okay, all right. So let's go to the trial. Um, first of all, your attorney. Um, this is a. How did did you go through your association, or did you hire an attorney on your own? I did. Um, there, I was a
1: member of the Gold braid Union. And so there's two separate unions within our department—one for officers and senior police officers—and then the Gold Braid Union. Um, the Gold Braid Union had a newer um, lawyer who was representing them, and so I met with her. And the big thing for me was she wanted to meet with me before she represented me. She didn't just want to go out there and represent me. She had to know who I was as a person. We had to have dialogues. She wanted to research my case before she took it. And, um, after looking at everything, she 110% believed that what happened was wrong. Um, that the department filed me, fired me for my mental health disability that they were aware of prior to firing me. Um, and, um, so she, she, she took the case and, and, um, just, she's fabulous. She's, so, and this, she's went, this went this way, this went all the way to a jury trial. Absolutely. Correct. Uh, the city stated they were not going to settle, um, that they weren't interested in settling, um, and, and basically that this was such an egregious thing, my simple misdemeanor, um, and my language that they, they were done and they were taking it to trial. So. It went before uh, a jury and lasted
0: a week, week and a half. Did the the chief testify? He did. Tell me about that testimony Um, and and how it affected you.
1: You know, hearing someone who is your chief basically disregard that you had mental health issues and, and basically stated that that was irrelevant, um, that it's the behavior. Officer Hunter fired himself because of his behavior. Didn't matter if I had PTSD. It didn't matter if that was pre existing or if they were aware of it. Um, you know, basically the way it was written up is I am the worst person in the world. And um, was I pleasant with the police department that that facilitated the arrest? Absolutely not. It was unprofessional, but there was nothing there. Even the officer who arrested me stated that um, he could continue working with me. And obviously, this was a one night deal where he even knew there was something more going on to it. And I've had a chance to talk with him and apologize and uh, dialogue with him about mental health within his department. He's setting up stuff with peer support in his department. So the working relationship was still there. Uh, even though the chief stated that it wasn't
0: all right. So the, the, and the trial was five days. Six, I believe six yes. days. And you testified there as well. I did. I did. Um, you know, the,
1: the jury it, it was obviously wonderful. I, you know, they, they really listened to both sides and, and they, they were fair, um, unfortunately um i really think the city thought this was a slam dunk um this mental health thing is not important to them uh, what's important to them is is getting rid of anything with mental health and you know they the chief got up there and talked about how an 800 thousand dollar settlement for excessive force was nothing compared to my simple misdemeanor arrest and bad language um so I think the jury kind of looked at some of these things and and were in shock. Um, the chief said that in that case they didn't violate any policy, even though they knocked teeth out. He was handcuffed prior to um, you know this force incident, and the city paid out eight hundred thousand dollars. But he stated those two officers did nothing wrong.
0: Okay. So. <laughs>
1: and there's right. and there's and there was more comparators. I won't go into all of them, but but there, it's just over and over in the absurdity of it it just became very apparent that that there's more to this than what meets the eye that there is a problem within the department when it comes to mental health
0: how how many how many witnesses did you call probably about five so i'm i'm I'm, I'm assuming i'm assuming your therapist was one of them
1: He was, and he did a great job explaining to the jury, um, you know, what PTSD truly is, Mm -hmm. how it affects people and all that. Um, So, and then in fact, one of our witnesses was the chief. We called the chief.
0: Oh, interesting. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, It's the last day of the trial. The jury is out. How long were they out? Three and a half hours. Tell me, hours. (laughs) recount for me. Those moments when the jury came back.
1: Um, It was pretty fast paced. It was a whirlwind. Um, You know, the courthouse closes at 430 our time. And and so it was 425 when the verdict came back. So, you know, it was a rush to get back into that courtroom. Um, The opposing side, the, the city legal department wasn't there. They didn't come back for the verdict. Um, but when the judge read the verdict, it, it, there was a lot of validation, a lot of vindication um, when they read that uh, that we had won on every count.
0: And is it at that point where they where they uh, made the determination of the two point six million dollars to be paid to you? That was made during their debate.
1: Um, you know, behind the closed doors, when they came up with the verdict, so um, that was also read with the with the verdict.
0: What what were you feeling when they when you heard that verdict come out?
1: I was overwhelmed with emotion. Um, I don't even know if I heard the two point six. All I heard was um, that they had sided with with us and that that um, that we won on every count. And so for me, that was an emotional time because it just didn't vindicate me. You sure. know, uh, Sergeant Morgan and his family, Jennifer was in attendance, uh, Joe's wife, for a majority of the trial. And, you know, she had never heard back from the department after, uh, after Joe's suicide. And, and then when she inquired or sent emails about why things were handled that way, the chief has never gotten back to her, has disregarded every phone call and email. So for, for this is a big win, not just for me. It's, it's a win for people having mental health issues within the department who are mistreated because of those mental health issues, and for Joe and his family to bring to light what our department does uh, with people who suffer from mental health issues.
0: Well, you have had a hell of an experience, my friend. It's been um, a long run. Been a long for run, sure. And now they're appealing the verdict, correct?
1: Um, they have thirty days to appeal the verdict. Um, we haven't heard anything um, from them, so I would, just, in the paper, the city manager stated that it would be likely that they appealed. So, again, that could be another year or two before anything is decided.
0: Well, I once again, Matt, I, I appreciate you taking the time to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Your story is amazing. Um, I, I just I I really pray that uh, if they appeal, uh, the, the, the next trier of fact increases the amount because because you uh, you deserve it. And uh, so it. so thank you so much. And do you have one one word of advice for police officers who are listening to this?
1: the biggest word of advice that I can give is a you need to stand up for what you believe is right Um, but also if you start seeing symptoms within yourself and and you're dealing with those symptoms do not hesitate to reach out whether it be to the wounded blue who has a great peer support system, whether it be to your peer support system at the department that you work at. A lot of people don't wanna reach out to them for fear that it's gonna be circulated like a soap opera back within their department. So there's, but reach out no matter who it is to, due to the fact that you're not gonna recognize everything possibly going on with you. So at the slightest thing that you're experiencing, it's probably a good idea to reach out and talk to somebody.
0: Well, once again, Matt, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. As we come to a close, I want to talk to you about the Wounded Blue. Uh, The Wounded Blue is a national charitable organization. It is the woundedblue.org and it is made up of all cops who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up and screwed over. They face the the physical challenges and just uh, as we say, emotional injuries are just as real as physical injuries. If you are struggling go to thewoundedblue.org and reach out to us. I would, uh, if you're a law enforcement supporter, I ask that you go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button and give what you can. Even $10 a month will help. And if you are a uh, business and you a business owner and you want to support the Wounded Blue through uh, supporting our programs, contact me personally, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. This is Randy Sutton and uh, this is the Wounded Blue Hour on the America Out Loud Network. Thanks for joining me.